Yeah, where's it coming from? Let's find out. Welcome to the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. I'm one of the hosts, Barbara Fisher, and today I'm talking with Susan Demeter. We're having another witch talk today. How you doing, Susan? Great. Uh, Full moon tonight. It's just rising here in Italy, and it's wonderful. Feeling that full moon magic. We saw the, the near full moon setting this morning when I was taking Wolf to school, and it was gorgeous. And Wolf was very sad that he didn't get a picture of it, but his school is kind of down in a valley. So by the time we got to where we could stop, he, he, he couldn't see it anymore. So I told him he'd have to take a picture of it tonight when it rose. Definitely. Definitely. I hope you get the clear skies. Um, that's what we've got here right now. So definitely feeling that, uh, that full moon coming through my windows here and overlooking the sacred mountain uh, here in North Italy. So. Oh, very, yeah. yeah, very pumped and energizing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for for a wonder here in Ohio, we have clear skies. Now this could change at any second. It's Ohio, but it's supposed to be that nice, dry October weather for the next week with clear skies. So we'll see what happens. I don't know. Again, it's Ohio. It could change at any second. Oh dear. <laughs> Just, just just decide, well, I, I didn't I didn't I didn't really want to be dry. We're gonna rain now. So yeah. All right. So what are you doing for the full moon this time? Well, I'm talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> but late, okay, yeah. Yeah, but <laughs> late later this evening I'll be drawing down the energy of the full moon. Um usually I charge my my magical implements at this time and i'm just going to be reflecting on this and um and feeling that the full moon i believe is in aries i have to check that but uh it, it's it's a good energetic vibe to to add to that moon is the aries uh the aries energy and uh and yeah and um I think that it's going to charge our, if I'm sounding really excited talking to you here, I think it's charging me up for our conversation, which I'm so excited because I love talking to you. Oh, so, thank you. Yeah. So wh- where this leads after our convo, um, pretty sure I'm just going to be uh, venerating the moon and um, getting my, my uh, magical tools charged up and soaking in that, that beautiful moonlight. That is an excellent plan. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I uh, the moon always the moon always shines down into my bedroom window. So on full moon nights and near full moon nights, I almost never um, sleep. So mm-hmm. uh, usually I sit up late and do tarot readings or you know watch outside and see what's going on in the sky and what's going on in the woods. Absolutely. Well, it's a lovely, lovely time to have a moon bath if you have a nice clear night. 
Oh yeah. Just soak in that that moonlight. Yeah. Yeah. Listen to the owls. We have owls up on our hill, so that's always fun. Yeah. And now it's it's especially important to to be looking and being aware of what's in the skies and around us because the veil is thinning. Yes. Just, we're moving yes. towards Samhain. Yes. Let's talk a little bit about Samhain. Um, that's that's what witches call Halloween, especially if you follow any of the old Celtic ways. That's the old Celtic name for it. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks like Samhain. It's pronounced Samhain. Yeah. And uh, it's it's a beautiful, beautiful tradition to... You know, it, it has to do with the, the thinning of the veil. So the the separation between the living and the dead thins. And that doesn't necessarily mean spooky. Um, that means that our beloved dead, our ancestors can visit us. And we can talk with them more easily. And we can venerate them more easily. And that's where a lot of the old traditions of uh, food exchange came from. That's really where trick-or-treating came from in a, you know, very long ago sort of way. You left food out for your ancestors um, and for the land spirits and the fairy um, you gave offerings. Yes. Um, so I think that's kind of where that whole trick-or-treat kind of thing came from. It's certainly where the costuming came from because you dressed as the dead or as the fairies or the land spirits. And um, it, it was a way of honoring them to dress like them. Yeah, I think there's some sympathetic magic as well that goes into costuming. Um, and of course, yes, this is this uh, with the veil thinning, it's also a time that it's easier to commune with fairies and otherworldly beings um, that might be more difficult at, at other points in the year. Uh, so definitely, yes. Yeah, so when, um, I think there's still so much mystery surrounding it because it's it's going back so far. But at this time of year, in the, in the Northern hemisphere where the Celts kind of were, it's the darkest quarter of the year. So I also mm-hmm. think that um, from what we understand, it's, it was the last harvest. So like mm-hmm. you said, the, you have the food exchange. Um, it's, it's the time where you're preparing really for the winter with the last harvest. So it's the darkest quarter of the year. And I think that for Pagans, especially neo-pagans, some view this also as a new year because mm-hmm. we're going, we're preparing to go into the earth and then again emerge out of the earth. Which the earth for me as an animist, this is where my ancestors are. They're part of Mother Earth. Um, this is where they've gone. And so we go into the dark space and and then you know we'll we'll emerge into the light coming at the, the Yule time. So it's a very special time, I think. Um, for some, there's there's melancholy and sadness, and certainly in many traditions, this is the time of year where you you think about and you contemplate death and dying. Um, so there's grief as well, but also there's joy. 
you know, it's the it's the turning of the wheel. It's the the cycle that I think really, for me, makes it probably the most important um, time of the year. I think, anyways, for for me personally, for many others too. Um, I think so. Yeah. I I uh, I've always loved October. It's always mm -hmm. been my favorite time of year. I was I was born in October. Tomorrow's my birthday. Happy birthday. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Um, both times I was married, I was married in October. Halloween was has always been my favorite holiday. I love the smell of leaves when they fall. I love the smell of smoke in the air from people lighting fires in their fireplaces or burning leaves. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I love the color of an October sky. To me, the October sky is a particular shade of blue that looks bluer in large part because there are orange and red leaves up yes. against it. So you yes. get that contrast. Of course, I look at it like an artist. It's like, it's, yeah. it's, you know, it's complementary colors. Exactly. <laughs> so they're on opposite ends of the color wheel. Um, so you get that beautiful sort of clear blue that to me just sort of hits a note in my heart that rings like a bell. Um, I love that shade of blue. I always have. Absolutely. And I think so much of autumn, some people feel sorrow in autumn and I never have. Mm -hmm. I don't, I mean, it may be because I was born in autumn and it may be that, you know, I always loved Halloween for the fun aspect before I knew the sacredness of it. But, you know, I kind of think I always kind of had a feeling that it was sacred. Yes. Um, and I've always had an odd view of death. Um, I remember, you know, asking my mother when I was a child, you know, why do we cry when people die? They're going home. Mm -hmm. And she did not understand this concept at all and, and was like, well, we won't get to see them. And I was kind of like, really? Yeah. You sure? Yeah. <laughs> because, <laughs> and, but she doesn't see, she, she's not connected in that way. So she'd kind of look at me like I was a little bit off and she's like, yes, dead people don't come back. And I was like, but, and I, even as a child, I knew, okay, maybe I should just not talk about this right now. This is not helping. Um, but I, I remember every time she would take me to see um, someone in a casket, I would just look at them and go, they're not there, mom. Yeah. They're, they, they're, that's just, that's just, just, that's just the matter. That's just the body. That's not them. And she was always very tied to a person's identity is in their body. And I, I was the exact opposite. Yeah, that to me, they don't even look the same. Yeah, I think it's a very Christian. Um, it's it's the notion of the uh, the the soul or uh, being tied to the body in the resurrection, and and so they it's a harder um, time trying to separate soul or spirit and consciousness with with the body. Whereas I think 
for us, um, it might be easier to do so. And certainly when you're, you've been with a person who's died, I was with my mother when she passed mm -hmm. and, um, and you can, you can, you can feel it. You can, you can mm -hmm. feel as the transition comes upon them and that what's left behind is, is, you know, it's, it's not the same. It's whatever essence of them has transitioned. And then the body of course becomes part of our, our mother earth again to become new. Um, mm -hmm. So I think it's, it's different for us, but I mean, I, it was a very, you know, it was very, very sad, but also, um, I, I'm trying to find the words because, of course, I'm talking about my own mother and her passing. And while at the same time it was very sad, I could, I didn't have, like you described, like that feeling that they're gone forever. And I certainly feel my mother with me, especially when I need her. Um, mm -hmm. I don't feel she's gone, even if her body um, was gone. She died at home, so we were able to you know, um, my aunts cleaned her up and dressed her and we were able to hold her hand and sort of do a, a bit of a wake at home before, mm -hmm. you know, the funeral home was called. We were privileged to be able to do that. But I think a lot of people also are removed from that being yeah. with their, their beloved dead after they've transitioned from the body. So I think as well, it's hard for people. And if yeah. you don't have those experiences, then the grieving process can be even harder than it, it normally would be. I, I'm not an expert I, in this, but I'm just thinking along these lines. I, th I think you're right. Um, I was with my grandmother through most of her dying process. Um, I stayed up the whole night, the night before she died, and uh, sang to her talked with her, held her hand, pretty much everybody else fell asleep. Um, but there were people coming in and going out as, as I was there and she was at home. Um, I was 17 and I felt very privileged to be there. Mm -hmm. Um, and my mother at one point had fallen asleep in a chair in the room and I was still singing very, very quietly, you know, until my voice was about to give out. Uh, at the time, I, I had sung in choirs for, like, most of my childhood and, and early, you know, my teens. So I had, <laughs> I had way more stamina for singing than I do now. And uh, there's one point where a light um, started looming in the in the corner mm -hmm. like this, it illuminated the corner and I was kind of looking over there and there was a part of me that was, am I seeing things? Have I been awake too long? Um, am I in a, an altered state of consciousness? Mm -hmm. But part of me was that's someone coming for her. Um, yes. I, I was like, you know, it's either, you know, an angel or someone she knows. Mm -hmm. um, she never woke up um, after I was there, really. I mean, she opened her eyes. She recognized us, but she couldn't speak. Um, 
but I knew she could hear us. So I, I just kept singing and talking with her. Mm -hmm. And as I kept singing, that light started growing and getting larger and larger. And it bathed the entire room in this incredible white, sort of blue-white light that, you know how a swimming pool that's inside, the light reflects off of the rippling water and it makes sort of a rippling effect on the walls? Yes. It looked, it looked like that, but of course there was no water yeah. in the room and it, it, there was nothing to have created that. And it woke my mother up. Mm -hmm. Um, and she sort of, you know, stared and she looked over at me and here I am, I'm still singing. And she said, what is that? And I you know, finished the line that I was singing. At this point, I was singing in Latin, even though my grandmother was very Protestant. Mm -hmm. I had run out of everything else to sing, so I was singing old Latin hymns and Gregorian chants and stuff that I had learned in choir. And uh, I said, I, I think I, I think it's someone coming for her. I think it's an angel or something. And she was like, how long has it been here? And I went, oh, it's been here a while. Mm -hmm. And she said, you, you've been sitting there calmly singing. I'm like, well, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what else do you do? <laughs> and she said, okay. And she, you know, she got up and she went to the bathroom and came back and sort of, you know, petted yeah. grandma's head and held her hand for a little while. And then she went and sat back in her chair and went back to sleep. Um, and then the next day, you know, she, she didn't really remember it really well. Um, it was, it was later at the funeral after she took me up to the casket to say goodbye to grandma. I'm like, I've already said goodbye, but okay. If it makes you happy. And, uh, I had looked down and I said, mama, she's not there. Yeah. And she said, um, because she had said she doesn't really look like herself without the bandana on her head. Because she always wore her hair up in a head wrap. Mm -hmm. And uh, I said, Mama, she's not there. That's why she doesn't look like herself. And she said, oh, yeah. You saw that light, too. I didn't dream that, did you? Did I? And I said, no, I, I saw it. And she said, oh, okay. But she never really talked about it with anybody else in the family. Um. But it, it was definitely there, and I felt very privileged to have experienced that. Um, yeah. It's such it's so beautiful. I'm like I'm seeing this in my witch's eye, and it's 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 I'm imagining her transitioning into starlight. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. It, that's that's what it seemed to be. It was like living light. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, if, interestingly, she had a. Uh, a shrub in her yard. She lived out in the country. Mm -hmm. So in the farmhouse yard, she had a forsythia bush. That was her favorite shrub. And she loved when it bloomed the, the big yellow blooms and it was a big one. So it had, you know, it was like a fountain of yellow, a fountain of gold, just sort of growing straight up and then down into this cascade that went sort of down a hill. That was her favorite favorite flower that was that she waited every year 
always went on about it, loved it, and always, you know, wanted me to take a picture of it for her. And after she died in November, it bloomed that spring and was, again, gorgeous. And and we took a photograph of it, and there was an outline of Mm -hmm. a woman around it. It was on a Polaroid. And there was a person standing in front of that bush. And and mom and I looked at it and mom said, that's mom. And I went, yeah, I think it is. And she said, well, even look at the the shape of the shoulders of the outline. That, That looks like her. I mean, it's the right height and everything. And I said, yep, yep, that's grandma. She came to see her shrub. Yeah. Her favorite shrub. And she, you know, grandpa came over and looked at the picture. He's, what's that light there? And um, mom said, well, that's mom. And he went, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and we were both adamant. No, that's that's mom. And then everybody who saw it, all of all of her children and grandchildren, he looked at it, went, oh, there's grandma. There's mom. There she is. She came to see that yeah. shrub. But what was even stranger is for years after that, that forsythia bush would bloom out of season. It would bloom in November around the time that she died and around her birthday, which was also in November. So it would have a secondary bloom at least once per year, sometimes twice. That's amazing. Yeah. As far as I know, it still does that. That's amazing. I was just going to say, it reminds me of um, when my grandmother passed, um, it was about four or five years uh, before my mom, uh, I took home a plant that had been brought um, to the funeral home in honor of her. It was a, it was a type of, um, oh, they're not cactuses, but they're succulents uh, succulents succulent it was a blooming succulent and i brought it home and it was fine and it was living but it never really bloomed again after the first blooms fell off and then i kept it, it was going well and then that year that my mom passed and it was around the same time my mother passed um on the on my on her mother's birthday coincidentally Interesting. And that plant, which I had had, which I always associated with my grandmother, um, began to bloom again. Oh. At that time, yeah, it started to bloom. And I took that as, as a sign that, you know, um, my grandmother was with my mom. Yeah. That, uh, that the flower was, uh, that, that the reflowering was, was the happiness that my, my grandmother had to be with her daughter again they were very close so it was odd that they that my mother transitioned on that day and then soon after that that the the plant that i associated with my grandmother began to bloom so that's that's incredible and that's beautiful i got i got a little choked up there yeah um because that's just that's just lovely also it it kind of makes me think, you know, this this little line of conversation makes me think about witches and our, um, the way we look at signs mm-hmm. and importance in the natural world. Um, yes. And how, as animists and um, pagans, we, we see the natural world both as a, a biological 
and geological entity. It it is it is a you know physical material thing or mm-hmm. series of things. It's a whole bunch of things, the whole biosphere. But we also see it symbolically and spiritually. Yes. And we don't we don't have we don't feel the need to distinguish between the two. That the sacredness is present both in the physical and in the non-physical realm, Mm -hmm. that it's just as sacred to look at the science of the natural world as it is to look at the spirit of the natural world. Yes. You know, you know, it may have just been quote unquote chance that that bloom happened at that time. It may have been some cycle about that particular plant that we don't know about, mm-hmm. but it still has meaning. Exactly. It still speaks to us on a spiritual level. And I think that's one of the things that animists, people look, people in the West can kind of look down on animists and be like, well, you know, that's obviously a primitive belief system, blah, blah, blah. And that's not very developed, but I think it's, it's, it's quite developed. And I think it's, even though it's one of the oldest belief systems, Mm -hmm. it's, it still recognizes every part of the world in a way that, uh, Western dualism separates it all out. You know, it it yeah. it puts it puts the world in baskets. It takes each piece of the world and puts it in a separate basket. That's, you know, over here is the material plane and science and logic and rationality, and then over here is the spiritual plane and emotions and thoughts and feelings. Mm-hmm. You know, and and these two do not mix. And that's, I think that's, I think that's kind of primitive in a way. It's very primitive. I mean, what you're talking about to me is, is magical consciousness. And to me, that is a form of knowledge that is just as valid and maybe more so than any other. And, and you're right in the Western world, people, you know, in general, tend to push that away and and say, oh, it's primitive. It's not, but no, it's valid. You know, and people have thought this way. Um, indigenous peoples have thought this way um, for thousands upon thousands of years. And and it is a valid form of knowledge. And we shouldn't be ignoring it, you know, or, yeah. or pushing it aside as if it's not. Yeah, I, I, th- I think I think it's not healthy to mm-hmm. I always call it the, the idea of you need to put God in a box. Yeah. Call it the God in the box thing. Yeah. That the Western mind wants to, you know, put God in a fairly small box. Mm-hmm. And that's where God lives. And God has these characteristics and God says to do this and God says to do that. And it's just very rigid. And that's where it is. Mm-hmm. And and each each sort of sect of Western um, religious thought, generally Christian, but not always, um, there's also Jewish thought that's very Western. Mm-hmm. Um, and and honestly, there's some Islamic thought that has a very Western component to it, that it, it has that duality and and uh, mm-hmm. that that desire to throw God in a box and and sort of shut the lid there. 
yes. contain it. I, I feel like that's that's a controlling thing. I have I, I have yeah. always felt like that's a that's a control issue there that that modern people and and when I say modern I'm talking about you know the past thousand years or so yeah uh, we we want to control all kinds of things and well you can't God's too big for that box exactly as soon as you shove God in a box and slam the door shut and try to lock it in there it's going to come out. And I mean, all of it never made it into the box in the first place because it's too big. Yes. God's too big for that nonsense and, and is not going to stay in that box. <laughs> and uh, so I've always talked about, you know, why why are we trying to put God in a box? The one time I did um, address a Christian uh, group, uh, I was we had this thing when I was going to Sunday school at a Methodist church where once we were teens, we sort of each got to lead uh, a little lesson in uh, mm-hmm. Sunday school. And so my lesson was about putting God in a box. And uh, luckily it was a very liberal Methodist church. Otherwise, I don't know. I don't know that they would have burned me at the stake, but they probably would have thrown me out <laughs> of otherwise. But yeah, I, I basically said as much as there are all these boxes that, that people try to put God into and God's way bigger than all of that. Just and it's not it's not ever gonna work. Um so that's that's one of my theories. People try to put God in the box and and then they try to put everything else in a box too. You know, women go in this box, men go in that box, and they're very different. We yes. are very, very different. Men <laughs> men are over here doing the rational, logical thing, and women are over here doing the the feeling, emotional thing. And that's why in men's box lives political power, and in women's box lives baby making, I guess. That's, yeah, what, that's what we exactly. get. We get, exactly. we get power in the home, you know. So you can kind of look at large chunks of of. Maybe it isn't just Western society, but it's just human society altogether. We always try to separate everything out and put everything into little boxes to make it make sense to us. And and I just, I'm of the belief that maybe we need to stop with that. <laughs> yes. And, 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 uh, and, and just let things be. And yeah. maybe just sit with things for a while. And, you know, observe and, and, and let these things teach us or learn from different things and not just trying to explain and push and like you said, compartmentalize everything. And uh, which you, cause you can't cause we're complex beings living in a complex cosmos and you just can't. (laughs) It's too much. It's too much. I know. And some people say it makes it easier, simpler, I I guess, but I, I don't think it's simple. I guess maybe because I can't not think, um, and feel these things, you know, and I can't stop thinking about them that to me, it isn't easier. It's much easier to just let things be and then let that guide me as to where things are going and, and what is happening with, with different things. Yeah. And maybe just like, you know, there, there should be an acceptance again, like there are different ways of gaining knowledge, um, there are different ways of being, and I think we need to accept that within each other 
You know, like if you need to compartmentalize certain things, fine. You know, as yeah. long as you're not harming anyone with your ideologies and your beliefs, you're okay. And you're not, yeah, and you're not yeah. trying to make everybody else conform to your boxes. You know, yeah. Yeah, let everybody right. have their own little boxes and just chill out, y'all. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, just be, just be calm. You know. Um. So we've talked a little bit about death, and yeah. with death then comes ancestors. So yes. let's talk a little bit about what veneration of ancestors is and what it means historically. And then we can talk about how it impacts our lives now and, and what that means. Just so I'll let you jump into that. Okay, for sure. Um, for me personally, what I like to do around this time of year is, um, aside from meditating on my ancestors, <clears throat> which I also do throughout the year, but particularly at this time of year, I do set up more of an altar towards them, um, particularly the, the ones I feel closest to as far as my direct beloved dead, my mother, my father, my grandmother. Um, these are people that were very, very important in my life. And I will, I have little things that belong to them that will become part of the altar photos as well. I have um, dirt from their graves that I have mm -hmm. brought here with me um, that I've made, I've put into special jars that I've decorated that I bring out at this time of year. I, um, I know that there are some, uh, there are witches and magicians, magical people that like to work with the dead. I prefer working with my own dead, like my mm -hmm. beloved dead. Um, so I, I, I kind of stick with that. Um, and then I will, I will create the altar for them and I will speak to them probably more this time of year than I, I would other than when perhaps I, I do more in the other parts of the year. But especially at this time, I think I spend more time meditating on them, what they meant to me um, and making offerings towards them. Um, so that's, that's pretty much what I will do for Samhain. Sometimes, some years I have actually set up a place at the table. Mm -hmm. um, so then I might do that again. But now, like, um, my my husband, is uh, his birthday is <laughs> on October 31st. Oh, so, wow. So we might, we might actually go out this year because, you know, we haven't been able to the last couple. So I don't know. I, I won't set up a, an extra plate at the table if I'm not going to be there. <laughs> that would be kind That's of, a little weird. That would be that would be kind of rude too. I think you know I'm inviting you in, and and now I'm going by. Um, but yeah, uh, I might leave the window a little bit open if it's nice, and and mm -hmm. just make a space for them to come and and be with me. Um, yeah, so that that's basically how I do things here. Um, and of course, it's the, the following day being the, the All Souls Day and then the All Saints Day. The, these are holidays. These are national holidays in Italy. Um, so it gives us more time to spend um, thinking about the dead, um, 
you know, if I was still in Canada, I would probably uh, go on those days to the actual graves. Um, but I can't do that here. So, but I do have the, my, my dirt from the, the graves that I've brought. So mm-hmm. it's a You've special your land with you. I brought, I brought uh, some of my land with me so that I can keep it close. Uh, <laughs> so these are some of the ways I go about, um, you know, spending the day of Samhain um, here in North Italy. <laughs> I think that's lovely. I I really like that you you brought the the land with you. Yeah. Um, and you you brought not just the land, but the land where your ancestors are now part of the land. You know yes. that specific plot of of soil. Mm-hmm. Um grave dirt ha- or um, grave dust. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has different names in different traditions has been a part of not just religious and spiritual expression, but also uh, magical expression for many years. And I'm not just talking about curses or anything like that. I'm also talking about um, holy magic or theurgy is what mm-hmm. that's called. Yeah. Um, thaumaturgy being magic that has nothing to do with religion, that has to do with magic, and theurgy having to do with religion. And African-based traditions have a theurgy that involves the grave dust or grave dirt of your ancestors. And mm-hmm. some of that is from the syncretic... Um, combination of Catholicism and African spiritualism and and the the African of course came from West Africa from different different um, social groups different tribal groups because you know you can't just say Africa Africa is huge it's a continent it's not a country mm-hmm. <laughs> it's gigantic exactly. and it has so many cultures. But primarily what came here to the New World, the people who came here to the New World, the cultures that were brought to the New World, well, dragged to the New World, let's say, were West African primarily. And their veneration of ancestors involves the use of earth and dirt from where they are buried and um, one of the the uh, big holes in in um, spiritual uh, veneration came when they weren't allowed to bring anything. You know, when they were being brought by slavers, they weren't allowed to bring the the grave dust of their ancestors. They weren't. There was a hole you know, in their yeah. hearts and in their, their practice. And so I, it, for one thing, that's just, I mean, everything having to do with slavery is awful and evil yeah. and wrong, but yes. it it's not just the physical enslavement of people. It is the removal of culture. It's yeah. the destruction of culture. It's also the, destruction of soul of, yes. of spiritual soul it's horrible yeah and so 
but that that veneration is still there that um it's it didn't it didn't kill the spirit it's still there and it's still part of the new world syncretic african-based traditions yes and even if you're white if you're part of a southern culture there is bits of that that has um touched your own spirituality and touched your own culture um many americans don't understand how much the african peoples brought to our country and really created that which is america um i'm not just talking about north america i'm talking about the united states yes um because canadians did not get all involved in that foolish mess um bless you yeah um, but but, I, but we did have our own um yeah yeah which we're kind of going through now as a nation with the indigenous people with the indigenous yeah. people and it's um it's very important to let people um speak their truth and yeah. and in order to hope to have some sort of reconciliation at some point you have to let people speak their and even if it's a very angry truth and they deserve to be angry yes. for what has been done to them um these people need to be allowed to speak their truth and we do need to also realize um you know as being white people they the the amount of um contribution that is made that we don't even probably realize like yeah. you know um by these people that yeah. uh, and their spiritualities and their traditions they they blend into the fabric of our communities and you know it's important to honor that yeah i absolutely agree and in fact what i was kind of getting at was when i venerate ancestors i i tend to venerate in a in addition to my own family mm -hmm. um I also sort of venerate the American family. Yes. So I look at as many cultures as I can who, which have contributed to the fabric of what I think makes our nation great, which is the whole melting pot concept. You know, it's not like everything melts into a goo that is all one thing. Is it, it melts into a stew where there are chunks of flavors that are distinct, but it's all held together by this broth or this thickened sauce that has a flavor that mm -hmm. comes from all of the ingredients. Exactly. So to me, I always have a representation of the native people who were here. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's a specific tribe of mm -hmm of people or there's representations of the tribes of the East woodlands and of, you know, the Western plains, the Northern plains, the Southern plains, you know, sometimes I, I get all fancy and have yeah. stones from these different regions of the United States. Um, sometimes I just go, I, you know, we're going to just do the one, but I also try to have representations from the African people who came and who, mm -hmm 
who thank goodness they brought us music. Um, yes. We would not have rock and roll without indigenous people and native American people mm -hmm. and um, African American people. Mm -hmm. um, we would not have jazz without African American people. Yeah. So I try to do different representations for all of this cultural mixing, um, different uh, shades of European mm -hmm. um, speaking. And since you're in Italy, yes, um, Italians weren't really looked at as white originally amongst the people who were already here. Yeah. So there was a big issue with treating uh, newly arrived Italian immigrants terribly. Yeah. Um, and uh, Irish immigrants, much the same. Mm -hmm. When if you just look at skin, you can't get much whiter than Irish people. Like me just to look at. <laughs> 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 Have having some of that in my family, and yeah. yeah, we're awfully pale. But it didn't matter. It wasn't just race, it was also culture. And at that time, the Anglo Saxon um English based kind of idea of what an American was just did not want to have people of, of those descents here. Mm -hmm. So I try to just have bits and pieces on my altar for everybody. And yes. it just basically, and, and talk to talk with them. I, 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 I say, you know, I know I wasn't part of slavery and I hope if I was alive, then I would have been somebody working against that. Mm -hmm. But I might not have been. I don't know. Um, but I'm sorry now. And, you know, my heart is is heavy with that now. So please hear me. You know, the, the spirits of the departed on this land where I'm standing and and understand that you're loved and you're honored, even if you weren't loved and honored at that time. You are loved and honored now. That is so um, beautiful. Yeah, it's just it's, so beautiful. It reminds me, because I have something here sitting on my desk. I can't show you because my camera is not working. And I can't show the people who are listening, but maybe I can take a picture and send for you. So um, that would work. Yeah, before I came to Italy, I took part in a ceremony that um, involved Ashinaabe, um, native people from Southern Ontario, who their elders were doing a sweat lodge, and then they did a ceremony and the ceremony involved creating a circle. And within the circle were four different sets of colored stones. So there's white, red, black, and, and sort of a yellowy, coppery stone. And they created a, a wheel out of it. And from what I was told, this represented bringing together the four great tribes of earth into one. And they prayed over several days over this circle as a way of bringing, um, you know, bringing people together. And I thought it was so beautiful. And I asked them if I could take a, a stone from each and they allowed me to. So I brought them with me. I put them in a little baggie and they sit beside me on my desk 
um, oh. all the time. And they remind me of, of the privilege of being able to be part of that ceremony. Um, and then later on being part of intertribal dancing, which was really a lot of fun, yeah. <laughs> is to be invited into the dancing. And it's just so joyful and just singing out to, to the cosmos and the gods and, and everyone. And just, it's so beautiful these traditions and to be able to bring it. And, and when you were talking to me about the rocks, this, this, it's exactly what this reminded me of was this Ashinawabe tradition of bringing the tribes of, of earth together to bring us all together as one in within the prayer circle. And I thought that was beautiful. And yeah, totally what you were saying, just that just brought that back to me. And, uh, and yeah, it's a beautiful, it's really beautiful. That is a beautiful um, ceremony. It it reminds me of Black Elk's vision. Um, have you ever read Black Elk Speaks? No. It's a very very interesting story. It's a it's a beautiful story. It's it's sad because of course he was at Wounded Knee, the first mm -hmm. Wounded Knee, the massacre, mm -hmm. not the uh, occupation. Um, he survived, obviously he survived. Um, he died in the early part of the 20th century, but when he was young, he had a vision and it was a very, very interesting vision where he saw four groups of horses, uh, running toward him mm -hmm. out of the four different directions of the earth. And one herd of horses was black, and one was white, and one was red, and one was uh, was the gold Palomino color. So you had the red roan, and you had the black and the white and the Palomino gold. And they all came together. And he saw it as a living medicine wheel, mm -hmm. which you're describing, yeah. um, with the four colors. And he... he he interpreted it as the coming together of the four tribes of earth mm -hmm. of the children of earth and becoming one people. Yeah. But he, he also dreamed that the, the Buffalo would return to the plains. And he dreamed that if we, if we did these things, the good red road would, would return. I, I think that part is also in there, but mostly I remember the, the horses coming together. But when he died after he had told, uh, I think Nyhart was the, the man who wrote this all down after he told the author who wrote it all down. Um, he said, but that vision never came true. Well, the problem is, is, <laughs> He was, he was dreaming far ahead yes. of his lifetime. Yes. And so he did not see the developments that have started coming mm -hmm. in, in our generation and in generations to come, I believe. And I, I remember every time I think of a medicine wheel or uh, a ceremony that involves the, the four tribes of earth, I think of him being at the end of his life sad that it didn't come true um but he was just ahead <laughs> he, he was ahead yeah but maybe now 
from the he other, knows. Yeah, maybe from the other side now, we, we would hope that he knows that, yes. Yes. I um, think, I hope that he knows. Yeah. Well, I think they do. I think that, that the dead do come in, peek in on us once in a while, and certainly we can call out to them. Now is a mm-hmm. is a good time to do so because of the, the thinning of the veil. Um, but at any time of the year, and I do think that they do, they can see they can see what's going on. I like to I believe bet. so. Yeah, I I I believe so too. I think I think if if we well, I'm, and it isn't just my experiences, but it's the experiences of other people who have had a, a an experience of their particular beloved dead to know that they are there they are interacting with us mm-hmm. and we may not know when they're interacting with us but they are there yes and i think that's important to remember um now you you posted a uh, controversial <laughs> essay about what to do with ancestors who maybe weren't so positive and i i really well i liked the essay a great deal but it it did cause a little consternation uh and and i can see it causing a lot more consternation in the wider pagan world so let's talk a little bit about that the ancestors okay so the the uh link that i shared was to an article um Oh gosh, I should check to see who the author is because I want to hat tip the author. But you'll probably I'll, I'll you definitely did. put it in the show notes. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. So basically, what they were saying, um, the article is in regards to ancestors. So what do you do, you know, if your ancestor, you know, was not a good person? Okay. Like you can you can look this uh, you can look at this as an even greater scale you know like say you came from a society or, or culture that was not so nice but in general it was talking about ancestors who you know might have been bad people that you might have had bad experiences with well what do you do at this time of year like how do you go about honoring them and the article is like the the title of it is we owe our toxic ancestors nothing. So <laughs> this this was controversial, at least with a couple of people that con- um, uh, commented on this, um, on my post of this, one being a, a fairly well-known occultist and um, uh, scholar of Hermeticism. And they were saying, well, we owe them everything as this is part of who we are. And I do in part agree that, you know, we have to acknowledge our ancestors. I think in in fairness, because I'm an animist and I think our ancestors become part of the planet. And I think if we go back enough generations, we're all related and ancestors, you know. Um, You know, I I, I mean, as far as that goes, yes, all these things work towards shaping who we are today, okay? Like, and these can be painful experiences that we have with people. But I think where I took exception with that comment and where I agree with the article is, 
there is nothing that we have to, that says that we have to honor people that have purposefully caused us harm. Okay. And I used the, um, the example of, well, what do you do if you have a grandparent that was molesting you? Are you supposed to pour them libations now that they're dead? Does, does their death erase this? The, you no, know, it doesn't. And, and I don't think that we need to at this time be honoring people that, you know, might have been very shitty to us uh, in life. I don't yeah. think, I don't think death sort of cleanses us, you know, uh, I, I mean, I think that you can, and as the article states, sometimes, you know, people will, will ask for forgiveness or they'll try to make amends in life, very rarely in death. If they do, then it's really up to you when and how you would accept this, if you're going to accept this, but that doesn't mean you have to honor them at any time of the year or this time of year. So I think it was just the point of like, yes, you know, we're shaped by bad experiences as well as good experiences, but we don't, we can acknowledge that and, and we can grow from that, but we don't necessarily have to accept that in the sense that we're going to honor it. And like I said, you know, I may, if I had been, you know, in Canada and, and had easier access to the grave sites of my parents, I might have gone and poured, you know, my, my mother loved her beer. I might have gone and brought mm -hmm. her a beer at this time of year, poured libations into the ground, um, spoken to the other ancestors, you know, I, but I, I don't feel we need to do that with people who have abused us. That's just you know, I, that's where the, the point of the article is. And, and I agreed with it, but it did cause some controversy. So I don't know. How do you feel about this? How do you, well, think? you know, I, I have a very difficult relationship. Well, actually at the moment, I don't have a relationship with my parents again. Um, they, they did things not just in childhood that were um, harmful to me, but also to my older daughter, Morgana, and to my husband and to my second child, Wolf. Um, so they're still alive and um, we don't speak. That is by mutual agreement at this point. Um, but when they die, unless there has been some sort of reconciliation in life, I'm not seeing <laughs> me honoring them in death. Um, and interestingly, Kendra, one of my co-hosts, mm -hmm. um, you know how people always say, well, you should forgive your parents for everything that happened in childhood because they were doing their best and they were trying and maybe they're just broken people and, and they just can't do any better than that. And to me, that's kind of like victim blaming. Yeah. It's, it's not straight up victim blaming, but it's kind of like, and yes. it's not really very helpful or supportive to the person who has been abused. And Kendra once said, I said, you know, I really, you know, people really 
go on about how you should forgive your mother for anything, anything that, you know, this is a, just a general statement when there are people on mother's day and we don't speak to our mothers, the general population thinks this is terrible and will, you know, preach at you (laughs) for Mm -hmm. one of a better term about how you need to do this, that, and the other thing. And you really should forgive your mother. She was doing the best she could, even if they don't know the whole situation or worse, even if they do. And then they still are like, but she's still your mother. And it's like, well, I was talking with Kendra about it one day and she said, now see, this is where Catholic upbringing Mm-hmm. is probably better than the Protestant upbringing you had. Mm-hmm. She said, because there can be no true forgiveness mm-hmm. without contrition. Yeah. She said, they have to ask for forgiveness, recognize what they have done, and attempt to make it better. That's she true. said, that is part of our theology. That is, you know, you don't just get to, you know, yeah. Say, I'm sorry and be saved. She said, you know, you've got some sects in, in uh, Protestantism where, you know, by by faith you're saved. You know, that that idea that came from St. Paul. She said that that's that's not how that's not how Catholics roll. She's like, we don't yeah. do that. Yeah, you yeah. have to work to be a better person. It's also how Judaism works. You got to you got to make contrition once a year with anybody you've hurt during that year you yeah. know you can't just so they it's a con it's a continual thing you know you really work to become a better person and i i was like that's why i can't forgive because she doesn't even understand what she did she doesn't think it was wrong um even when she was doing things to me as an adult she did she still doesn't think it's wrong so what i'm saying long story short is the person who wrote that article was right. And there are times and places where it is appropriate to just at the least ignore your um, troublesome, abusive ancestors, Mm -hmm. um, family members. And, you know, there are some who would say even to say aloud Um, not just ignore them, but to say aloud, this is why you are not honored. Just in case they're listening, I guess. You know, if you're listening, this is why (laughs) the rest of the year I ignore you. Exactly. It's this. So maybe in your next life or on the other side, you can work to become a better person. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's, I think that's absolutely valid. I think that's, absolutely right um and i would say even on a on a national scale sometimes that's something that maybe we we as witches and uh, pagans and animists can say to the greater number of our ancestors you know the ones who decided genocide was a great thing that was a good idea we're gonna manifest destiny we like that and say, well, we can't go back and fix it, but we can say, not in our name, thank you. Yes, exactly. You know, and never again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't don't be starting that again. Yeah, <laughs> you no. know, y'all need to. Mm-mm. Not in our We're name. Not going there. But never again. 
So, no, I, that, that's, that I think is, is, um, a perfect way to have to deal with the ancestors as, as like the farther generational you get. Um, and again, at some point we're all connected and we're, mm -hmm. uh, the ancestors are our planet. They're, you know, they make yeah. up our, 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 our world that we live in. So yes, we, we, we might owe them to a point, but not to have to honor and venerate them and certainly not yearly. And, you know, I'm not going to, like I said, include, you know, a creepy uncle that I had in my libations and exactly. my honoring, it's just not going to happen. And, you know, it, it's, it's like you said, there has to be a point of, of, um, awareness and asking for forgiveness. And then sure, like we are, we all make mistakes as parents, we all make mistakes. God, but yeah. I mean, we have to also be able to own those mistakes and, and admit, you know, Hey, you know, I wish I would have done things differently or I could have done that yeah. better. Or, I'm sorry if I caused harm yeah. and people that truly are genuinely sorry for causing harm usually don't have a problem admitting to it. I think, I think Pretty much. so, you know, pretty much in my experience, that has been the case, um, that, uh, you know, and it's also people who have caused harm, not just once or twice, you know, <laughs> these mm -hmm. are people who are, um, cyclically recidivist and <laughs> they just yes. keep doing it, you know, <laughs> um, sometimes it's the same harm, you know, other times they branch out and come up with new and exciting ways to be harmful. Mm -hmm. Um, it's it, when you have something like that, and it's, it's a continual thing, then no, the, and, and they're not likely to get better once they're dead. You know, it's kind of like, mm -hmm. I remember, uh, I was talking with somebody about using Ouija boards mm -hmm. and I generally suggest to people, you know, just don't do that. Um, yeah. mostly because people who do pick up a Ouija board don't take it seriously mm -hmm. and they generally don't do anything to like, promote safe use of it yes um, they don't really cast a circle or because they don't know about that you know yeah. it's just a game it, it parker brothers makes it you know whatever Woohoo! Mm -hmm. i'm gonna talk to the dead people and then occasionally they do end up talking either to their own creepy subconscious or mm -hmm. some entity floating around going hey free lunch i'm gonna go hang out with these people they're ignorant and fun yeah. And then all sorts of horrible things happen. So exactly. I generally am like, you know, y'all just don't do that. Mm -hmm. um, but the other thing that I'll say to people, if they argue with me with y'all, don't just don't just don't do that. Um, is they'll say, but I want to, to talk with, you know, the wise people who are dead. And I'm like, what would you, how? What? Okay. Just because someone's dead doesn't mean they're wise. Exactly. They <laughs> may not have learned all the things they need to learn. And if they were not terribly wise to start out with, I'm not sure they're going to gain wisdom after they're dead. And so you may be talking with, you. I mean, you don't know. You, it's not like you ask them for an ID, you know, and if they tell you something through the Ouija board and mm -hmm. that my name is 
I don't know, somebody famous, Abraham yeah. Lincoln. You know, why is why do you believe it's telling you the truth? Exactly. And I, and I, I would forewarn people, too, that um, they should really, if I mean, as for, for the many positive experiences that people can have in working with the dead or, you know, or even having ghostly experiences, because I, I, I for a number of years, I spoke with many, many people and I went on ghost hunts and I took in many cases and, and not everybody that lives in a haunted house is frightened or has problems with their, with their ghost. But mm -hmm. on the same point, um, you should read the book by Joel Fisher, Hungry Ghosts, because yep. not everything that's out there, first of all, is human. And not everything even that is might have um, our best interests at heart or be a nice person or want to pass across true information. So it's when you're dealing with these things, and especially at this time of year, it's better to, to you know, proceed with a lot of caution and realize that not everything out there means you will. Just like in this realm of reality, not, yeah. not everybody out there, and you know, has good intentions towards you. So you have to have that as well. Discernment. Discernment when dealing with these, uh, the unseen, um, yes. including our, our beloved dead and, and, and ghosts and, um, you know, maybe our anything. not beloved dead, maybe our not <laughs> beloved dead discarnates other people's beloved dead. I mean, you know, like, and, yeah, and, that, yeah. and that comes to, to a quick point that I just, I wanted to make, um, before we, we move off into other topics is, okay, so what do you do if you don't have beloved dead? Because this was a question that um, that my husband posited to me. He was like, well, you know, what if what if you don't have somebody that you want to honor? And and I said to him, well, you know, if, if it was you, I would say, because he's, he's an astrophysicist, <laughs> I would say, you know, you might want to honor Newton, or you might want to honor Galileo, or Kepler or some of the great um, scientists that have come before because they've laid that foundation. And even if they're not your direct, say, kin that you could trace that to, at, at the end of the day, we're all kin. We're all interrelated. Yeah. And these are people that inspired you. Um, you know, and, and so for you, you know, I would suggest that that, that would be something or for anybody, if you you know, if you don't feel that at this time of year, you have someone that's on the other side that you want to honor, think about people that are on the other side that have inspired you and who you are. Maybe some of the great witches were, you know, mm -hmm. of the Stuart past. Farrar. Exactly. Doreen exactly. Valiente. I mean, I, yeah. I still call um, Doreen Mama Doreen, you mm -hmm. know. Um, I even call, you know, Alistair Crowley, Wicked Uncle Al, you know, yeah. I don't necessarily <laughs> pour libations to him, but you can't ignore him. He, yeah, he's like that weird old uncle. That's, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I actually have a lot of positive feelings towards Alistair. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're yeah, all he's complex. He's our weird old uncle that that's fun at parties and, and, and gatherings and, you know, but you don't want to hang out with him constantly. Oh, maybe. Wow. <laughs> but no. uh yeah that's too much yeah yeah um i you know i really like the idea of newton and einstein and um all of all of the scientists uh, copernicus kepler mm -hmm. as his intellectual 
uh, ancestors. Yes. That is, that is, I, I think that's completely valid and actually really cool. Mm -hmm. I, and as you were talking, I was like, you know, I could, I could do, I could honor the artists mm -hmm. that are part of my artistic ancestors, Frida yeah. Kahlo, um, uh, George O'Keefe, you know, mm -hmm. I'm very into discovering female artists who were kind of ignored yeah. and are just now starting to become uh, noticed. Yes. Um, and in fact, uh, Wolf's middle name is mm -hmm. Artemisia from Artemisia Gentileschi, speaking of Northern Italy. Oh, wow. Um, she was an amazing artist. And she had a horrible, horrible life. For part of her life, she she dealt with the same kind of trauma and horrible crap that happens to women today. Um, but she overcame it. And she was an amazing artist. And she used art to help overcome it, which is really, really amazing. Um, so I'll, I'll post some links about her. Definitely. And, and, I'd, I'd love know, to learn what, more about her. Oh yeah. She's she's I know that there's at least one of her two of her works, maybe more in Florence and I know you're not that far. Yeah, I'm about um, half an hour north of Florence, yeah. so it definitely yeah. could be on my bucket list. Yeah, I I would to love see. to see some of her works, you know, live and in person. She was very very good at portraying the uh, light off of fabric, for example. Mm -hmm. um, and her facial expressions that she paints are real. One of her, my favorite of her paintings, and it's a very violent painting, it's Judith and Holofernes, mm -hmm. um, which is from the Bible story. There was an invader coming into the land of Israel and he was a warrior and he was causing all kinds of hate and discontent, killing people, massacring people and just being a general jerk. Yeah. So Judith um, decided to go with her handmaid and present herself as a concubine, I guess. Um, so she dressed up in her pretty clothes and she put together a basket of wine and food and carried a sword with her hidden amongst all of her veils and robes and pretty clothes and in the basket and went to him and plied him with drink. And I like to think she put maybe some extra herbs and stuff in there to make him sleepy because he was apparently a very large man and he drank deeply of the wine. He was beguiled by her beauty. He was beguiled by the handmaiden's beauty and he gets good and loosened up and he gets on his bed and he gets undressed and mm -hmm. you know, he's beckoning her toward him and she, uh, she, motions to her handmaiden who walks over and puts her hands upon him it is said and then hands her her sword oh and she beheads him right then and there i think i've seen this painting well yeah. the it's a it's a fairly commonly painted subject ah so maybe okay 
her version, the the versions that men have painted are very mannerist. It's like she's she's holding his hair and she's kind of chopping, you know, okay. but yeah. it, it's not very realistic looking. And the poses are very, very stiff. In her version, it looks like it's going down. Like she is seriously, she has a big arm. Mm -hmm. She her she's rolled her sleeves up for God's sake. She knows she's doing something messy. And so her <laughs> sleeves are rolled up. And that forearm has muscle on it. You can see it. She's holding that sword and she's going at it and holding his head. And he his face is transfixed in terror wow. and her handmaid is holding him down and he's kicking in the background because so it's a very dynamic work and it oh man did it cause some serious issues when it came out but it is amazing and yet still there's pieces of absolute gorgeousness there with the light off of the taffeta of her gown and off of his, her maid's robe and the color use is very very complementary colors very rich very realistic so i'll post a, wow. a picture of it in yeah. uh, show notes so yeah everybody can wonder about barbara now it's like oh my god that's one of her favorite paintings days <laughs> so, so powerful though it is it is and she used that painting to well the the person's face that is on that painting is the man who raped her when she was a teenager and um she went through uh basically being questioned under torture to get the truth out of her on this so she withstood torture to tell the truth and he didn't get punished much for it so her punishment to him is to be the face of holofernes for all of time wow i i thought that was amazing yeah it's so she brilliant. is one of my she's one of my artistic ancestors yeah definitely definitely i so wow we just we just went into a side trip there but it's that's why I it's love talking art. with you because we, you never know where we're going to go. And yeah. I think it's, it's, it's so cool. And I always learn something and I love it. Well, I always learn something from you. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's great. <laughs> we, we always kind of just go, we we're going to skitter off the path. Woo -hoo. Exactly. <laughs> we'll find something interesting <laughs> over there. Exactly. So um, let's see. You have something to talk about that's happening after Halloween. This this is going to be posted right after Halloween, and you've got something that's happening at Halloween. Yeah. So why don't you talk a little bit about this? I've seen I've seen some little teasers here and there, and yeah. I would like to know what's going on. Well, so please, a group of friends. Um, and they are they're friends of yours as well, you know, uh, the people that are involved. So that'd be myself and uh, Miguel and Josh and Greg and David have come together over the past uh, year. We've been working on a project for a ufology tarot deck. Uh, so it is going to be um, an exploration sort of of the social history and the magic 
behind ufology and all the major players of the past. So by the time this, um, this, this show is, is put out for people to listen to, there will be a link that you can go to. You can see samples of our work. Uh, we will be starting a Kickstarter. Uh, and there's going to be incentives and things. And we're hoping to get this out uh, in the next year as a full-on uh, tarot and as a way to um, explore ufology in a way that perhaps hasn't been explored before. Not just UFOs, but ufology itself and its, its major characters. So I'm very, very excited about that. Oh, and, man. Uh, yeah. I'm so stoked. I'm yeah. so stoked it's, because it's, the history of ufology is just wild and amazing. Yes. And uh, and there's going to be some Kalian influence in there as well. Oh, yeah. So it's going to be a very magical, magical tarot um, that's very close to my heart. Because like I said, we've been working on this um, for so long. And it's now really come together. And, and we're ready to put it out there and present it to the world. And yeah. <laughs> That's unleash awesome. its unleash its UFO UFO-ish goodness out there. That mm -hmm. is awesome, amazing, and cool. And you guys keep a secret so well. I love you all because I've been doing this art with UFOs and tarot symbolism all this time, and y'all have kept your mouths shut. I am proud <laughs> of you. Well, you that know that is awesome. It's it's that magical sort of um, you know, truth that you've got to keep it, you know, if you're cooking yep. on uh, cooking this up, you got to keep it close to the heart until you're ready to just boom, unleash it. Yes. How it goes. Yes. Yeah. It's 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 to know no, to dare to know to will to keep silent. Yes. That's the way you put a spell together until mm -hmm. you keep silent until it's time to let it go out into the world. So whoop, I know before other people know though. So yeah. I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> but you all did a great job with that because uh, yeah. Greg wow. is going to be the recipient of one of my original tarot paintings mm -hmm. um, using symbolism of tarot and, and um, UFOs. So, and he kept his mouth beautifully shut. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but now That's you guys can talk well about done. it. Yeah. Yes. Talk about it. yes. So I did, I did talk to Greg and I let him know that I was gonna, I was gonna let you in on it, you know, cause it'll okay. be That's for, the, for our special Halloween kind of Samhain, uh, you know, talk. Yeah. That is awesome. So I will definitely be contributing to this Kickstarter because I will definitely be needing that tarot deck and, I love Miguel's art. I'll have to, I'll have to hit him up and, you know, once it's out there, he can talk about it and talk with him about it because UFO art, I'm in, I'm in there. Yeah. You'll have to, you have to, that. you have to bring him on the show and, and yeah. talk to him about his inspiration and, and how this all kind of came together. And it's, it, it was a wonderful project to be doing with friends and, and really putting in our, our, our various perspectives of, of UFOs and, and UFO social history, which is so fascinating and so magical in its own way. Um, you know, from the nuts and bolts to the, even to the skeptics, they, they make their appearance oh, as yeah. well. It's, yeah. The materialistic. Of, yeah. yeah. It's part of it. It's, yeah. it's the whole push pull. Um, 
is it real? Is it psychic? Is it energy? Is it uh, psychosis? Is it, you know, all of that, all of that is part of that history. Yeah. And that is so exciting. It yeah, is. I'll have to hit up Greg too. Because, yeah. you know, he can now finally talk about it. Exactly, exactly. And I I I dig UFO history and so does Morgana, so and and Kendra too. So And that in that UFO magic. Um oh. I think just, you know, and for me because um like I discussed in, in the Cosmic Witch book, it it's just such a deep part of who I am that I I view my magic through the, the UFO lens and vice versa. You know, so this, so having the tarot um, as part of that, I think, just adds to the the mix. You know, I, yeah, I think it's it's perfect. It is so awesome! Yay! Yes. So it's oh gonna my be God. exciting Halloween. So this is, you know, for me, yeah. I'm gonna have I'm gonna have hubby's birthday and Samhain and the UFO tarot all converging in that wonderful little bit of time and it's going to be a very special moment and uh, yes absolutely yeah, yeah. so you've got it, the full moon you know <laughs> bringing you into that whole excitement exactly it's it, and and that's the thing too is that um when i think of the, this time of, of year and the you know the 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 land itself is going to sleep but there's always, it's that time that we can reflect and think on these things. We can let go of what we don't need anymore, you know, maybe negativity mm -hmm. and things. It's a good time to just sort of cleanse and refresh and move forward into the new year. I, I do really view this point of the year as the new year, um, mm -hmm. as other witches do. I know not all, and, and some pagans yeah. view more of the Yule as the, as the new beginning of the new year. But for me, it's definitely this time. It's, it's a yeah. refreshing time to be and then getting ready to come back out into the light, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yes. At the, at the winter solstice. Mm -hmm. And I always, again, I always liked the darker part of the year. Maybe it's because I've always been a night owl by um, nature, which yeah. I just recently, you know, Morgana and I have said for years that we night owls are the night watch of of the tribe. We're mm -hmm. the ones who are up late and can watch over, you know, people at night when uh, there's things in the darkness. Whether it's, you know, predators or, you know, back yeah. in the day, you know, big wolves and, and saber-toothed lions and such. Mm -hmm. Or if it's humans you know, human marauders, or if it's things that go bump in the night, mm -hmm. um, we're the ones who, who watched over people. I just recently found out that there is actually probably some truth to that, that it wasn't just us being poetic <laughs> <laughs> and making an excuse for the fact that we cannot sleep at night. But, um, so I've always liked the darker time of year. I've always felt more connected to it. So yeah. I, to me, it's not negative. Yeah, it's it's positive. Exactly, I I feel the same way. I love to sit by the fire and and warm myself and read a good book. And you know, I'm not one really for the cold, like going out in the winter and skiing or doing anything like that. Like I'm not a winter outdoorsy person as much as you know. I I like to to sit by the fire and 
you know, cuddle up with a good book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. And I, and that's, that's kind of what I look forward to. I'm like, I'm like the, the, the animals that make the little, you know, the, the leaves and the, make the little, little bedding but for the cold. Yeah. The nests. I like to nest at this time of year. I After I, I go through that. my, my cleaning, you know, I cleanse everything out, put all the, the summer stuff away and, you know, bring out the warmer blankets and, and then I like to nest. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfectly, perfectly yeah. wonderful. I used to like to go outside in the winter, but as I've gotten older and the fibromyalgia has gotten worse, I've, I'm kind of like, eh, rah, 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 I don't yeah. know about that. Oh, well, when but I was a kid, I fall, loved it. Yeah. Oh yeah. In the fall. <laughs> I'll go out, yeah. you know, even if it's a little bit cold, I'll, I'll be out there tramping around looking at the leaves, you know, oh, looking yeah. at, at the mushrooms that are sprouting up, you know. Well, definitely now is that that's the time of season, especially here in the mountains. Um, the mushrooms are coming up. It's people are going mushrooming. We do that too. And we like to, um, well, I don't trust my mushroom skills. I, I trust more that the grocer for that. But I mean, yeah. we'll go out and see the mushrooms and, and go on nice hikes and things. It's perfect. It's the colors are just starting to really come out now. Yeah. Here and it's yeah. really lovely. And we have ancient chestnut trees and now's a good time oh. to collect the chestnuts and get uh, get everything ready for the coming winter yeah here here in Appalachia we collect the uh, black walnuts mm -hmm. and now's the time for that as they fall from the tree and um, yeah I don't I don't pick mushrooms I just take pictures of them and then paint them yeah <laughs> <laughs> because they're beautiful but you know I mean I know the poisonous ones to avoid that are definitely killers but i don't necessarily know which ones are edible um, yeah. other than the obvious ones and even then i just leave them i, I don't yeah. i i grow my own or get them from the farmers i, I don't i don't play <laughs> with that exactly um, exactly well well, thank you for being here and talking with me. I love talking with you. You're definitely going to have to come back. I will. Um, and we might have a guest with us next time with Kiki. I would um, love Kiki that. Dombrowski. She really wants to meet you. So yeah. I think maybe sometime in December we can get the two of you together and we can have a, a three-way witch talk. I would love that. And I have Kiki's new book and it's, it's wonderful. I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us and happy Samhain. Happy Halloween. Yes. Blessed Samhain and everybody have a safe, wonderful Halloween. Well, that's all for this week's episode of the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. If you have any questions or thoughts about the podcast or would like to come and talk about your experiences of the paranormal, you can contact us at 6djk67 at gmail.com. We promise to even answer you, and we are always happy to hear from you. Thank you. Thank you.